Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, December the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we go back into the film room for the All-22 review from Sunday's loss at the Meadowlands, and we turn the page forward by jumping into Crossover Wednesday with the host of Locked On Bengals ahead of the most important game of the season for draft positioning for either team. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, Wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have plenty of pieces in the timeline right now from Jason Harina, yours truly, plenty of other writers contributing to LOD.com every single day. Let's go ahead now and jump right in to the All-22 review. And we start on this podcast on Wednesday, as we do every Wednesday, with the offensive side of the All-22, and it was not pretty. At least in the second half, because you basically had a variety of leaks pop up that caused the offense to bog down on so many of those drives that were otherwise successful, despite another really solid game plan from Chad O'Shea and the offensive coordinator. Between the seven drops, the one off the face mask of Isaiah Ford in the end zone, and then all the penetration that they allow on the interior of this offensive line every single week, it's kind of a miracle that they're able to move the ball as well as they are especially with how one-dimensional they can be for such long stretches of games where they just cannot run the football evidenced by the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick leads the team in rushing. A funny note on that, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Ryan Fitzpatrick are the three quarterbacks in the NFL that lead their team in rushing, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is not like those other two guys. But as far as the running game goes, and we covered this on the Sunday slash Monday recap pod, Miami is actually finding some semblance of a running game, and it always comes through 12 personnel offset formations where they jam two tight ends into the boundary and just take advantage of the numbers count on the defensive line, and that's literally the only time Miami can get positive yardage in the ground game when it's a clear one-on-one matchup across the board, head-up block, and they get three or four of those blocks executed, and then they get chunk gains or at least four or five yards on those plays. Anytime one of the guards or centers has to cut somebody off at the pass or do a reach block, it's pretty much an adventure, even more so when they have to anchor their technique, their pad level, the ability to stay on blocks or to drop that anchor in pass protection. It's just bad all the way across the board. The interior pressure basically led to that safety on Patrick Laird, and it definitely led to the negative run on the fourth and one in the red zone early in the game. Daniel Kilgore just continues to get walked back by guys 
I think center is a massive, massive need for this team. And I would be pretty surprised if Miami doesn't leave the first round of this draft with either Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma, Tyler Byadash of Wisconsin, or Nick Martin from Washington. That position has to get fixed with a premium resource. At right guard, Shaq Calhoun does nothing for me. Evan Brown, the guard that came into the game for Michael Dieter and for Calhoun at different points, had his struggles. Michael Dieter continues to have his struggles. They've been an all-year thing with him with pretty minimal progression, but he just too often can't find work or falls off blocks or he lacks balance and power at the point of attack. He's had a rough go of it in his rookie season. And at left tackle, we all know my feelings about Julian Davenport, but that's where we can turn things to the positives on the offense for Miami, which was basically exclusive to the first half of the game. And there was one guy on the offensive line that I thought played pretty well, the right tackle, Jesse Davis. He had a lot of one-on-one opportunities in this game where they slid protection to the other side of the formation and put him up one-on-one against Marcus Golden, the Giants' best edge pass rusher. And he held his own in those. He's been getting into his pass sets more comfortably, quicker, He's getting out of his stance quicker and covering more ground on that initial kick slide. But what I thought was his best trait in this game was the hand fighting. He would stay patient and allow Golden to shoot his hands first, which then allows Davis to lock out, redirect, and really control the rep and the counter move by Marcus Golden once he sets up field, tries to work back underneath. Davis had a very good game doing that. And maybe there's hope for one offensive lineman on this group to be a starter next year. Whether it's guard at tackle, I'm not quite quite sure, but I do think that Davis is back in some capacity next year as a starter on that offensive line. I think the position group I was most impressed with in this game was part of the offensive line as well, an extension of the offensive line and the tight ends. Despite the multiple mistakes from Clive Walford, just catch the damn ball, man. He got in behind the Giants zone a lot because of the play sequencing. And a quick aside, that's where O'Shea did so well in this game plan, that play sequencing. So many times the Giants linebackers were outflanked, outmatched, or taking false steps, biting and taking the cheese on the play action. And that was all because the design of the offense. They would use split zone action, motion indicators. They would pull a guard and the H-back to the backside of the formation to get the linebackers to suck up and then throw the football right in behind them on slants and digs and in-breaking routes to Devontae Parker, to Clive Walford, to whoever it might have been. They would then also use the offset 12 personnel into the boundary to sell run action, then bootleg Fitzpatrick back across the formation and throw to Albert Wilson, who has a two-way go created simply because of the fact that you're in that 12 personnel and they don't have their nickel defense on the field. They take advantage of body position for Devontae Parker or Mike Gesicki by creating space for them to stack defenders, which is both of their best traits. And Walford could have had that monster day at tight end. Instead, he goes for a decent receiving day. I think he left about 30 or 40 receiving yards on the field and he had a good blocking day. Durham Smythe had an excellent blocking day in the running game. Nothing else really for me to say about that. Gesicki, I think, has shown demonstrable improvement in the areas I laid out for him this offseason. There's a rep in the All-22 thread on Twitter where I show him work through a chip, press the stem, work back to the football, and shield the defender at the catch point for a reception. Very nice work from him there. I think Devontae Parker should have had three touchdowns in this game. Check out the back shoulder breakdown on the Twitter thread. He did have that big drop, but he creates a lot of separation with his size and quickness and ability to sink his hips. Albert Wilson was on a different level in this game than previously. Quick, jitter 
jitterbug, breaking tackles, uncovering early in the route pattern. He looked really good in this game. I thought Hearns and Ford both had crap gains. Patrick Laird dropped too many passes, and he and Gaskin are both a liability in pass protection, and you can tell Fitz just does not trust them back there. As far as Fitz's game goes, I had him with three bad misses, two on accuracy, one on a poor read, and of course the fumble, so four in total, but my God, he is the most cerebrally inclined quarterback this team has had since Chad Pennington. I get so much joy out of watching masters of the craft at the position, and that's exactly what Fitzpatrick is. The finer details, his post-snap manipulation, using both his eyes and body position to move the defense to create gaps against the zone defense, using hard counts to identify who is coming on pressure and getting the front count to get into good running plays. I shudder to think about how good he could actually play in year two in this system with the caveat that they improve the offensive line by a mile and the running game gets turned around and gives this offense more two dimensions than just the one dimension. We'll get to the defense of all 22 on the other side of the podcast here, but first, your first line of defense from the elements and the best bet to win the holiday season with Breaking Tea. If you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts all around teams' passionate moments like the Miami Miracle. Great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. And once you have won the holiday with the appropriate gift for your missus, take advantage of the situation and be your best self in the bedroom with Blue Chew. Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, postseason, regular season, NFL draft, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. There were plenty of negative plays on both sides of the football to harp on from this game, and I guess if you want me to do that, I can, if you guys want me to bag on guys that aren't going to be here next year, we can do that, but I would prefer to focus on the guys that are going to be here and what they can do in next year's system and beyond. If that works for you guys, I'm cool. We'll go forward with that. And look, there isn't a lot of lipstick to put on the proverbial pig here. It was just a bad showing. The Dolphins just are not getting enough out of the edge positions. Their cornerback play is beyond depleted at this point. They have guys who won't be here missing too many tackles and an inability to rush the quarterback from the linebacker position to me is what's causing some of the biggest issues in this scheme. <clears throat> Come on down, Matthew Judon in free agency. But let's talk about this game and start with the two interceptions. I know there were three of them, 
but the third was basically a layup, a throwaway at the end of the first half from Eli. The Vince Beagle interception was just a genius play call. They threw several disguises at Eli on that particular play alone. They started off in a two-deep look with a standard A-gap pressure from the linebackers, both Jerome Baker and Sam McGuavin up there with Vince Beagle showing pressure off the edge. All three of the linebackers bail out at the snap. They rotate the safety from two deep into a single high look with a robber. And what a robber is, is someone that comes down and basically tries to pick off crossing routes from either play side or backside and just finds themselves in a zone where they weren't going to be before the snap. They then bring the slot and perimeter corner from the boundary on blitzes and Beagle winds up in zone coverage off the edge where he usually blitzes. I'm sure Eli thought he was coming. He did not. He bails out. Beagle falls right into that slant route off the boundary X receiver and gets himself a room service interception. Brilliant design, brilliant play call there from the Dolphins coaching staff. The other interception from Jerome Baker was just pure pass rush prowess, say that five times fast, from Christian Wilkins. A third down and one play in the red zone. Giants go play action and Eli tries to fade away from that initial pressure from Wilkins and throws another room service interception, but it all happened because of that pressure from Christian Wilkins, who obliterated the man across from him and got into Eli's face almost immediately off the snap. A great rep. I put it up in the thread on my timeline at Wingfield NFL. Go check that out. Devon Godshaw inside. I say a lot of positive things about Devon Godshaw and he did have some more good reps in this game, but I will say there are times when he gets rolled out of the play entirely for his fair share and some of the big plays come off of that. I think they need to just reduce him down to a 50% player next year and that's kind of the case for a lot of guys in this defense, mostly the linebackers, Beagle, McMillan, Baker, Van Ginkle, I think should all be role guys and just add more players to this system and to this front and that's the case with Devon Godshaw as well he is so good when he's fresh and ready to go playing with so much power but he does have plays where he gets rolled out John Jenkins had some moments in this one and it looked to me like Zach Sealer I think that's how you say it had a couple of really nice reps in this game he is straight up country strong and can hold the point of attack against the run I got a DM from a host of a Ravens podcast who I know the Dolphins signed Sealer off the Ravens practice squad he was a big fan and told me we'll like Zach Sealer so we'll see about him going forward. Taco had a rough day and that's kind of what his season has been. I know he has the sack numbers, but he just has no clue out there as an edge run defender in this defense. And it's equally bad off the other side. Vince Beagle does well for the most part, but he's more of a linebacker role where he kind of dents the edge and creates space for other guys. But Avery Moss, Trent Harris, whoever it is out on that side, it rarely works out. They usually get hemmed in, lose contain, and it goes to big runs off that edge. At linebacker, I'm intrigued by Sam McGuavin's athleticism. I think he's still a beat slow at times and not physical enough, but if he can get playing a little bit faster, a little bit more instinctive, there's a chance for him to be another one of these role players as a coverage slash blitzing linebacker. The pass breakup he had, he gets sucked into the play action, takes the cheese, false steps, but then because he's so athletic and quick, he falls back into the curl zone and makes a play on the football. That play is also in the thread on Twitter. Go check it out. Nick Needham had a really bad day in this one, I thought. The big play on the Golden Tate touchdown was not a bad play, though. He comes off the coverage with two vertical routes in his direction, and he has to pick one, and he damn near undercuts the seam where the safety, Stephen Parker, is nowhere to be found and gets his finger on the football. And just to go back into some Twitter conversations I had on Tuesday, if you think that Nick Needham right now is a finished product, 
what are we talking about here? Because this is an undrafted rookie free agent who's already made leaps and bounds this year. It's about projection to next year and beyond. If you think you're going to get the same performance out of this guy, I don't know what to tell you. He's going to get better. Nate Brooks, I don't know about him. He had a rough day. Fresh here from last week, had a really rough go. So did Adrian Colbert, who I thought was even worse in this game with four missed tackles. Jamal Wiltz has some bite to him, and I'll continue to talk about him as your sixth defensive back in dime packages, where you play the sticks and coverage on third and long and rally up and tackle. He's a very good tackler. He can play the slot. He can play safety. That rep he had against Golden Tate where he jammed and worked underneath to get a pass breakup on third down was beautiful. It just was not a good day for the Dolphins defense in general. Those were the highlights. It's not going to be a good day. These last two games, I don't think either. This defense is just simply out of bodies at this stage, and they just added another starter to the injured reserve in linebacker Raquan McMillan. So we'll see if they can hold up against the Bengals. And on the topic of the Bengals, let's go ahead and pivot now to Crossover Wednesday. And welcoming in the host now of Locked on Bengals, he is Joe Goodberry. Joe, it's nice to finally talk to you, my friend. It is, Travis. I'm uh, excited to talk to you, too. It's kind of funny. I, I uh, learned about you in training camp when you were covering the Dolphins, and I was like, oh, this, is, this guy's pretty much covering the team how I cover the Bengals, and then ends up being that our fates are going to cross, and we knew it. We kind of were looking at this game for maybe the last two months of, yeah, this is going to be a big one, and it ended up being a little bit more separation than we expected, but uh, here we are, and it is still a pretty big game, especially for the Bengals. Yeah, separation in the wrong direction. I was confident back when I first talked to you that we were going to win this tank off, but I don't think they are now, and there are a decent number of parallels between these two teams, and they didn't get here via the same path, but I want to ask you, at what point during this season for you, did it all become about that first pick? Because I recall you guys damn near getting out of Seattle and Buffalo with road wins back in September. Yeah, there was a few games, actually, that they were close. The first game, especially. I, we didn't know where it was going to go, starting from the Marvin Lewis transition of 16 years to a new head coach, a young guy. That really was in over his head for a lot of reasons. I mean, uh, Zach Taylor did not have the experience. Most of the guys he hired to be his position coaches and, and coordinators did not have the experience for those jobs. So, we expected a bumpy start, but didn't know if this talent on the roster, because they are talented in, in many areas, and we didn't know if it would be able to hold them afloat until the coaching staff figured it out, if they figured it out. So after week one in that Seahawks game in Seattle, they went toe-to-toe with them and should have won, and they didn't, and that's how the NFL goes. But we were like, man, maybe they can compete right away. Maybe this isn't such a uh, rough transition. We were wrong. It was really rough for the first eight weeks, and I think around like week Five or six, as Andy Dalton was having his worst year, and the Bengals were 0-6 at that time, I started to you know, lift my head up from the season and go, yeah, this is becoming inevitable. The, the evaluation, the first step was evaluation on Andy Dalton was finished, done. He was regressing in serious ways from where he was last year, and he's never been a great quarterback, but he did have 2015 where he was fantastic until he got hurt so since then it's regressed as the offensive line has regressed he's been completely uh, going down with it and then this year was his worst the coaching staff couldn't figure anything out they didn't the players they were using they couldn't figure out what how to use them what their strengths and weaknesses are taking all of marvin's players you know and trying to figure out what they were on the fly was extremely tough for the staff and i looked up and go Okay, if Dalton's not going to be benched 
before the end of the year, which I, I at that time I didn't know was going to be within a few weeks. I, I figured that's done. They're going to be positioned to draft a quarterback. I need to start looking at these guys. And we'll talk more about those quarterbacks here in the third segment. But you mentioned Andy Dalton. To me, he is very comparable to Ryan Tannehill in that they're probably going to take on the talent level of the team around them. Like you mentioned, 2015, probably the best Bengals team you've seen, I'd imagine, in some time that yeah. year. And then now you get to a oh and or a one and twelve, one and thirteen team, and he plays his worst year of his career. It makes a lot of sense. That's how a lot of quarterbacks go in this league. But I've noticed more recently, Joe, Cincinnati having a better defensive performance, at least until last week, and that was aided even by a Gilmore six pick, Stephon Gilmore yeah. of the Patriots. But they've been getting better. 17, 16, 6 points, and 27 points allowed in four straight games. What changed for their defense where they started playing more Cincinnati Bengal defensive style ball? Yeah, it's two weeks in a row for a pick six, too. So it's inflated oh, them a couple go. times since the bye week. So they their bye week is split right in the middle. After eight games, they got their bye week after traveling to London to play the Rams. Uh, it seems they, they came back. They figured some things out in that bye week, and they got the running game going on offense. They got the defense in better position and stopped dropping guys in the coverage that shouldn't have been dropped in the coverage, started playing more man coverage, and, and really put the onus, I think, on a few of the young players uh, to step up and be leaders, you know, and, and guys like Jesse Bates in, in year two, after a really good rookie year, they said to him, you know, you're really out there, you're messing up way too much at this point. Either you're going to be that guy for us in the future or you're not. And I, he responded and he's had, he should have four interceptions in the last four weeks, but he, he had one called back against the Browns uh, that was on a bad penalty, but that's how it goes sometimes. The other one was releasing Preston Brown at linebacker. Linebacker has been a huge issue for the Bengals for a long time. And they went into this year with Preston Brown and Nick Vigil, and they drafted a third-round pick in Jermaine Pratt, who was kind of rotating in. It's a nickel defense. So you got two linebackers out there for almost 90% of most games. And Preston Brown and Vigil just couldn't get in sync for whatever reason. They released him. They don't release guys in the middle of the season, especially not guys they just gave a three-year, $18 million contract to this spring. So they... They released him, and they inserted Jermaine Pratt, and since then, the linebackers are clicking. Vigil's had maybe the best four-game stretch of his career until last week. Uh, Jermaine Pratt has steadily increased uh, his performance, and you look at it and say, well, how? It's a veteran guy. Why, why inserting a rookie It just makes it better? I think part of that is your ability. One, Preston Brown couldn't cover. He couldn't move in space. He couldn't run guys down. Jermaine Pratt can at least do that. So I think when when Pratt looks to his side and sees Vigil and Vigil is giving him checks and telling him what to do, he's trusting it and just going with it. Whereas I think there was a little bit more finger pointing between Preston Brown and Nick Vigil. So they shored up that middle of that defense, even though it's not great. It, it's keeping their head above water. And as soon as they did that, and as soon as the offense started putting up a little bit more points, at least in the first half, uh, the defensive line has been able to play and play well and take over games. And that really should have been the strength of this team from the get-go. That's a perfect segue into our next topic. But first, we're going to take a quick break here. We got more with Joe Goodberry, the host of Locked on Bengals on the other side. But first, before that, we've got your performance in the bedroom improved in the first segment. Now let's go ahead and get your mattress performing on the same level with the original Casper mattress. It combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with the right amount of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NFL promo code at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. 
Segment three here on Crossover Wednesday. I am joined by Joe Goodberry, the host of Locked On Bengals. And Joe, we talked about a tank off podcast a little more than a month ago or whatever it was, but I think the Bengals have pretty safely secured that first pick unless something crazy happens over these final two games. So I now give you the floor, Joe, on your discovery because I know you've jumped into the college tape for a lot of those guys for that first pick. I know you love you some Joe Burrow. Isn't your Twitter ha- uh, handle even J-E-A- J-E-A-U-X at this point for Joe Burrow. It is. But yeah, perfect. But I want to know who else you put in contention for that first pick and tell me how much fun you've had explaining to Bengals fans that a quarterback is more important than a pass <laughs> rusher. <laughs> and that's not fun at all. Although at first it was like 50-50. I had so many... You got to understand, Chase Young is a great prospect, yeah. right? And he's in Ohio with Ohio State. There's a lot of Bengals fans that are going to want Chase Young. So that was part of beating them down of, guys, listen, if you think <laughs> a franchise quarterback is there, it, it trumps anything else. And I, Chase Young's a freak. I want him. 32 teams in the league want Chase Young. No doubt about it. But if there is any of these quarterbacks, and this is how I started this before I even knew who Joe Burrow was, it was if any of these quarterbacks are worthy of the pick, that settles it right then and there. So I, I went in with a very open mind. Traditionally, I don't watch college players until January. Mm-hmm. Right before the Senior Bowl, I'll start dipping into them. Uh, I kind of treat it as a coach would. An NFL coach would probably be unaware of these guys other than casually watching and then dive into the film around Senior Bowl time and, and grind it out for three weeks until uh, draft day comes. So I usually do it that way. But the Bengals inevitably pushed me towards it much earlier than I expected. <laughs> and I jumped in around week seven, eight. And at the time it was Tua Tungabaloa. I was the guy that, you know, at least I knew of the name and, and I've seen him in previous uh, big bowl games last year. So I started with him and I'm like, yeah, as I'm going through it, yeah, Tua does a lot of things very well. Not only is he throw with great anticipation, ball placement and touch. Uh, I think his deep ball is tremendous. He gets in trouble, maybe once in a while when coverage rolls and he doesn't expect it or he gets something different post-snap. Uh, but I think the twitchiness in the pocket, even though he's not a great runner, I think he. it's hard to not say Russell Wilson when you watch him because of the stature, the twitchiness, the deep ball. Uh, he doesn't have that arm. He doesn't have that athleticism. But you see shades of uh, Wilson and Breeze, if that makes sense, of a mix between them. And you go, yeah, I'll take that guy top five every time. And actually went to Justin Herbert next. And I watched Justin Herbert, and he's kind of exactly who he's who I knew he was yep. the past couple years. I thought he made some improvements, but the biggest thing for me was Oregon never let him take over too yeah. many games or too many opportunities. It, it would really uh, uh, draw me back a few times because I'm like, man, you guys are down 10. You're not letting him throw. You're running it four plays in a row. I mean, this just doesn't seem right for a college guy who's supposed to be a top 10 pick, but he's got the cannon of an arm. He's athletic. He'll stand in the pocket sometimes to his own detriment as he's getting pressured and he doesn't feel it. Uh, but too many random plays where he just is overextended or his feet aren't under him or whatever happens and the ball just flies out of his hand, uh, inaccurate. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz coming out because I think those guys can make any play, make any throw at any time, but there's something missing in terms of consistency or mental or just, you know, the aura about them, whatever it is at the quarterback position where I just step away and I go, you know, I just don't know if he'll ever put it together completely 100%, uh, but he should be a fun quarterback. So I stepped away from him. I realized Jordan Love wasn't having the year he had last year. I said, all right, I'll table him for now. This Joe Burrow guy is having a crazy year. Let me throw this on. And what I expected was, a guy that, and you know, after the first couple games, I'm like, okay, he doesn't have a great arm. Uh, he's a decent athlete. And 
you know, he seems to never miss. His ball placement was crazy. And I, I was like, okay. So I, I keep going through the games. And I keep – and then I, I'm like, this guy's great off script. When things break down, when when things don't go right, uh, he's great in the pocket too. I, I start like – like kind of have to hold myself back because I'm like, these are the things I want. I want a guy who's super accurate, especially with ball placement. I want a guy that is great in the pocket and can feel pressure and navigate a pocket, keep his eyes up, right, when the when the rush is coming. A guy that can break the pocket, go off script, uh, make a play and, and, and have to run if he, if he needs to. He's a, actually a pretty good runner. I, I wasn't sure after the first two games. It's kind of funny because I hear these weird comparisons for Joe Burrow all the time. Even Todd McShay had one today where he said scouts had told yeah. him Andy Dalton. <laughs> yeah. And I think – what, yeah, that may only come if you've only watched two games, yep. but it's like the string of eight to ten games, and you go, whoa, this profile is insane that he can do all of these things at such a high level. He doesn't have a great arm. He has everything else you want in a quarterback. Everything else in the production is insane to the point where I don't know how you can deny drafting him number one overall with that type of production profile. It's like if if he is the same guy he was in college – and we've seen that kind of recently with quarterbacks, especially Lamar Jackson is who he was in college. Um, uh, Pat Mahomes is who he was in college. He's got a better system around him. But those freak throws, those those th- uh, flick of the wrist, deep throws and throwing back across his body were things he always did. That's who he was. And, and you come away and say, OK, if Joe Burrow is exactly who he was in college, I think you're getting a really good quarterback. The, the comparisons from from Matt Ryan to Tony Romo, which I think is very fitting, uh, to even Breeze and Brady, which you never hear a comparison for Brady. I've never in all my years of doing draft uh, work. I've never seen someone say, oh, yeah, that's Tom Brady. That just doesn't happen. And you're actually hearing that for Joe Burrow, which is crazy. And I think it's partly because he's winning in every single way without having a cannon of an arm and running his his offense to perfection, uh, which you don't normally say about quarterbacks either. So uh, I came away, and that's where I am right now as the Bengals currently hold the number one pick. They still need to lose the next two games, but I am all in on Joe Burrow. The way he identifies pressure and gets the ball right in behind that pressure is so impressive. And hearing you talk and rave about Joe Burrow makes me excited for you because as someone that fancies myself as a bit of an amateur scout as well, when I see a quarterback that continuously has me like shaking my head and saying, how in the hell are people not over the moon for this guy? That's the best when it happens. For me, it happened last year with Kyler Murray. I was blown away by him. This year, it happened with Tua Tungavailoa and going back to last year. And even though I was resistant at first to Joe Burrow, because you mentioned maybe the lack of the physical traits in the arm, he just continuously won me over week by week by week by doing these things that translate to the next level. So I'm happy for you guys. You get your quarterback. Tua remains my guy. And for this game on Sunday, real quick, Joe, we're getting short on time. I think both fan bases would prefer a loss in this game. So to satisfy our urge as Dolphins fans, I want you to tell me which player or position group or aspect of the Bengals team will be the reason the Bengals win and which aspect would be the reason the Bengals lose on Sunday. Oh, man. The reason they win will be because the defensive line is an extreme advantage over the Dolphins' offensive line. If Dolphins don't have the worst offensive line in the league, then it's the (laughs) Bengals. But the defensive line for the Bengals can get after people and can beat you one-on-one. Think of the nickel defense of Geno Atkins and Sam Hubbard inside, Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson on the edge. They will beat you. Somebody's going to win on on a one-on-one matchup. Uh, So that's the reason why they'll win. The reason they'll lose is because the passing offense stinks, has stunk the whole year, and Andy Dalton is playing terribly. There's only there's if Kyle Allen of the Panthers is benched, there's no lower quarterback with a total QBR than Andy Dalton right now. So uh, you should beat him just based off that. If 
Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins can put up some points, and they have been lately. Well, with the thought in mind, the Dolphins are on defensive backs number like eight and nine on the season as our top guys. We'll see how it goes. What's your score prediction on Sunday, Joe? Oh, man, I'm going to say 20 to 17 Dolphins. You, you got to do it. You got to pick <laughs> pick against the Bengals. Secure yourself, Joe Burrow. You can do it on Sunday. He is Joe Goodberry, the host of Locked on Bengals. Joe, thank you so much, man. Had a blast doing this. Tell the folks where they can find you besides Locked on Bengals. Yeah, Twitter at Joe Goodberry and The Athletic Cincinnati, where I write once a week. Perfect. Thanks a lot, man. And away he goes. That one went a little longer than usual, but I'm sure no one is complaining about that. Joe is one of the best hosts in the network, so always happy to get a chance to talk to him. As for today's podcast, guys, that is going to be my time. We'll have the mailbag out for you tomorrow because I will have to record the Friday podcast on Wednesday since I'll be on a plane to Miami on Thursday. So get those questions in. As for today's podcast, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you tomorrow for a Thursday preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. In a tongue understood, I know.